Welcome back everybody. This is Seed Wars number 15 and today we're looking at the Devil's Love Apple, the mandrake plant. It's a very fascinating plant and uh, it has a very rich and deep history. And if the mandrake plant was used in the garden by the reptilian serpent Nakash in order to beguile Eve, then we could literally say that it is truly the root of all evil and that it is a it is a plant and a root of infamy. And so you would expect a plant that was used for a situation like that to have a lot of notoriety throughout history. And you would see that likely emerge over and over in many different mysterious ways. And it turns out that we do. There, there's a tremendous amount of interesting symbolism and connotations by which the mandrake plant has continued to exist throughout time. And today we're going to continue to take a look at some of those and try and draw some parallel connections between those and the garden event. So it turns out in the 1930s, we see the very first superhero comic by the name of Mandrake the Magician. Now, I'm going to try and make a lot of connections here between the Mandrake plant and what I believe the Nakash, the diviner, used it for in the garden and how he used it. And we're going to try and look at a lot of different symbolism and connect the dots. First thing I want to mention is that superheroes are not what most people think they are. In fact, in the Days of Noah series, I believe lecture number four, which I'll include in the description box, we take a look at ancient mythology regarding the demigods, half human, half gods. Hercules was a demigod. Achilles was a demigod. And it turns out that that is where the word hero derives from. The etymology of the word hero is in the Greek writings of Homer and Iliad, specifically describing the demigods. Now, the word hero's taken on a different connotation over the millennium. Today, a hero would be someone who has bravery in face of opposition. They would be called a hero, but that's not the original meaning of the term. The first hero was a giant, supernatural, semi-divine, half-human hybrid being, Hercules. He was the first hero. Now, over the millennia, we've developed a new word, superhero. And a superhero is someone who also is larger than life. Usually it involves genetic modification. We demonstrated this in the Days of Noah series number four. We looked at about 20 different superheroes, from Spider-Man to Superman all the way through to the X-Men. And what we found is that they all underwent genetic modification, which made them hybrids, and then they all developed special, unique powers. And so right out of the gate here, we're seeing that the very first superhero which is just another name for a hybrid Nephilim, is in 1934. And his name was Mandrake the Magician. Notice that he is a magician. He's into the occult. 
And this is an image of Mandrake over here on the right. You see the classic magician. magician. He's levitating because that's what wizards and witches do. He's holding a couple of crystal balls because we know that they use that in the occult mysticism. We see the concentric circles within concentric circles, which means that there is an alternate dimension that's being opened up through the use of the magic. Now, this entire series is based on Mandrake's ability. This special, unique superhero ability is to mesmerize his subjects with hypnotic gestures to control them. Do you see that? That's interesting because that's what we said the Nakash did in the garden when he used the Mandrake plant. That he put Eve in a hypnotic state so that he could control her. Now this entire comic series predominantly features mad scientists, also extraterrestrials. There's a lot of alien stuff in it which I think that's very relevant because we've demonstrated time and time again that they are the New Age Nephilim. These hybrids or these hybrid aliens are the, are the Nephilim of, of today's world. And then also there's a lot of different characters within the, the comic series of alternate dimensions, entities who enter into our four-dimensional time space through an alternate dimension or a higher dimension. We just call that the spirit realm in Christianity. These are just demons and angels who are coming from a higher realm. The other interesting point about Mandrake in the comic series is his predominant powers are shape-shifting. I find that interesting. He's a shape-shifter. He's able to levitate. And he's able to teleport himself to different places. And so he really displays a lot of the similarities of the fallen angelic realm. Now, to make matters more interesting, Mandrake's father is named Theron. Doesn't seem like a very important point, but in the book of Revelations, the beast, the Antichrist in the beast system, the Greek word for beast is Therion. It has an I in it. See, Aleister Crowley's nickname became Master Therion, the beast. So this is what Mandrake's father's name is, indicating that maybe Mandrake's father is something demonic or angelic. Now Mandrake, Mandrake has an evil foe, and that evil foe is a humanoid-looking person by the name of Lucifer. He happens to be a cobra. So it's obviously obvious now that the comic series is extrapolating details from the Bible. They have the arch enemy as Lucifer. That obviously comes from Lucifer, the fallen angel. In the comic series, he's demonstrated as a cobra man, kind of like a man dragon or a man serpent. And later, Mandrake learns that this evil foe, Lucifer, is actually Therion's oldest son, which makes him Mandrake's half-brother. Now just consider that for a second. 
Turns out that Mandrake and Lucifer are brothers. They're half-brothers. They have the same father, but a different mother. Now that's a very interesting detail because, as we've demonstrated, that's very similar to what we've espoused in the past. We said that Eve was the mother of all living. That's what her name means, the mother of all living, but that we have different fathers for the boys. And we said that Cain and Abel were half-brothers, one who represents an evil seed, one who represents the good seed. That's exactly what's being demonstrated here in the comic series. Very similar to the video we did a while back on Pollux and Castor, one of the ancient mythologies throughout Rome and Greeks times, that there were two brothers, that the god Zeus slept with a female woman, and then she made love to her husband, the king, a human man, and it produced two different offspring, same mother, different fathers. One of those offsprings was a regular man. The other one was a divine man. And so we see this same interesting theme being played out in different ways. And I would say that's not a coincidence. I'd say that that's based on a kernel of truth. Now, another interesting thing we see in Mandrake's comic series is there's another he has a he has an evil doppelganger twin by the name of Eckard Nam. Turns out that Eckard Nam is just Mandrake spelled backwards. We've seen this a lot in occultism. Aleister Crowley wrote about this a lot. It's called the law of reversal. That's why they hang the cross upside down. That's why they say the our father upside down. That's why they do different rituals backwards. This is sort of based on this as above, so below paradigm that we've seen and studied in the past. It's interesting that Mandrake has this evil doppelganger twin who exists on the other side of a mirror. And what happens when you look in a mirror? It reflects your image, but in an opposite fashion. This is this as above, so below representation that we see in witchcraft. And this evil doppelganger uses an evil eye to perform magic. And of course, we've seen the evil eye all throughout the Illuminati. We see the eye on the dollar bill. We see the eye in a lot of different movies like Lord of the Rings. And so... Throughout the story, we're seeing this concept of this as above, so below evil doppelganger twin who is the opposite of Mandrake. And I think that reminds me a lot of these representations we showed in previous lectures of Cain and Abel, that they were opposites. That even from the womb, they were enemies. They were at enmity with each other, as the Proto-Evangelium says. The seed of the woman and the seed of the serpent were at enmity and hostility with each other. And so naturally they were turned away from each other. They were It was the law of reversal right from the beginning, even in utero. And all of this symbolism is being demonstrated in the first comic superhero series about none other than Mandrake, the Mandragon, who is an occultist and a magician. Now when you look at some of the comic covers you see a lot of interesting sim similarities 
Um, here we see a big fire-breathing dragon, and Mandrake is uh, going to use his hypnotic magic to, uh, to, to uh, fight the dragon. So there's some interesting parallels there between the dragon and the magician. Over here in the middle, we see UFOs. And, you know, we've looked at the UFO movement. It's a very bizarre phenomenon. It seems to be of a spiritual origin. Uh, I believe the fallen angels and the demons are, are masquerading um, as these uh, gray aliens and these reptilian beings. They're shapeshifters, and they can present themselves however they want. And um, so, you know, they really started bringing uh, the idea of extraterrestrials and UFOs. That started emerging in the early 1900s. Um, and we see that here in the 1930s with the Mandrake. That's probably one of the most prolific origins of UFOs was in this first comic strip series. You know, back in this time, kids didn't have television. They were reading comic books, and these comic books were extremely popular. And so this was the enemy's attempt to plant the seeds, so to speak, of this UFO phenomenon that would later grow up and begin to bear fruit in the 1950s when we start seeing all of the different movies about, you know, the Martians coming and, and, and taking over planet Earth. And, and that's just continued to manifest over the last hundred years. And that's all in preparation of the second Thessalonians 2 great delusion, where God sends the lie. And those who do not love righteousness will believe the lie. And that's when these fallen angels present themselves to humanity as these extraterrestrial beings. And that's a whole different rabbit hole that we're not going to go down today. But and we've looked at that in the days of Noah series. But I'm just trying to point out, you know, make these connections between these occult concepts and some of these more new age concepts. Same thing on the right. You see Mandrake here and there's a green UFO. And notice the UFOs are always green. You know, why is that? Because they're reptilian beings. And then we see these uh, reptilian entities here that Mandrake's fighting. Where did these green reptilian beings come from? Well, in the comics series, they're trying to demonstrate that they came from outer space. But actually, they're interdimensional beings. The comic strips describe these beings as manifesting from a higher dimension. Exactly what we're seeing in the UFO phenomenon today. These aren't entities who are traveling, you know, 500 million light years on a spaceship traveling at light speed like we see on Star Wars and Star Trek, but rather they're entities from a higher dimension. In other words, that's the spirit realm. That's all just fancy talk for the spirit realm where demons and angels come in and out of the spirit realm, the second heaven into the first heaven, which is our four dimensional time space. And so I think there's a lot of interesting symbolism. Of course, they're going to display them as green. And, and of course, they've got these little green reptilian cyclopean type entities. By the way, these one-eyed cyclops, that goes back to Greek mythology. Within Greek mythology, there was this mythological race of tall giant men known as the cyclopeans. 
and they had one eye and they were hybrids and they were giants. And we've demonstrated that those were the pre-flood Nephilim. The Greeks were just taking all of that mythos and they repackaged it in a new, new way, thousands of years after the flood. But it's just pre-flood stories that they're, they're retelling. Here we see, um, it says, Mandrake betrays his friend to uncover the secret of the Black Wizard. I'm not sure exactly what that's in reference to, but it shows Mandrake with a, a, a prison. Looks like a cube to me, and cubes have always been um, highly occultic. There we have the cult of the Black Cube, and it represents Saturn worship, so I'm sure there's some connection there. On the right over here, we see Mandrake once again putting a, a hypnotic spell on a fire-breathing dragon. You see a lot of dragon um, lore around Mandrake. For obvious reasons, Mandrake means a man-dragon. But, you know, people who are reading the comic strip don't know that. They don't know what the word Mandrake means. But we have this man here who's in control of these dragons and lizard people. So he... Mandrake is the representation of the Nakash in the garden. Even though he's displaying himself as a human being, he has this hypnotic power. He, it, one of his sources of power is he can shapeshift, he can teleport himself, and he can control entities. So he really embodies the Nakash. And here we see him controlling the dragon, and we see these little reptilian lizard men who look like human beings, but they're dragons, they're serpent men. So they're little man-dragons running around throughout the comic series. And of course people are going to just assume that this is fictional. They're not going to see that there's a biblical connection between the comic series and what was described in the garden, that there was a serpent being that went into the garden. And so Mandrake gestures hypnotically. And we understand that the mandrake plant was used to do just that. The ancient mandragon lizard people used the plant to put a hypnotic spell on human beings. That's what the word nakash means, to whisper in your ear and place a spell on you. It's interesting that mandrake really personifies the stereotypical tall, dark, and handsome, the one who always seduces women. You can see that he's a good-looking man with the black hair. He's got the little curl right here. His colors line up with Superman. Turns out that he would become the origin of the Superman comic strips. But it's interesting that they personify him as the tall, dark, and handsome. And we see this throughout vampire lore. Mandrake represents the Mandragon, or the Dracula, which refers to the son of Drake, the dragon. And when you look at the, all of the different stories of the Draculas, they're the tall, dark, and handsome. They have the slick black, slicked back, black hair, fair skin, and they always sort of have this sexual connotation. That's why they always place people like Brad Pitt in Interview with the Vampire as the sexy vampire. Or down here in the Twilight series, we see that when you watch vampire movies, there's always a sexual innuendo of these 
handsome, attractive vampires who can seduce people. Say, well, where did that idea come from? Well, the Draculas originate back to Drake, the lizards, the reptiles, who are able to use their charms to seduce women. It looks like here Mandrake's opening up some kind of portal to another dimension, the demonic realm. And then over on the right we see uh, black magic. Uh, he conjures up a flaming holocaust of thrills. Now, that's an interesting choice of words, considering that this is around 1936, which is just right on the heels of World War II, where obviously the Holocaust would be performed and millions of people would be killed. Um, the word Holocaust means burnt offering. It's, it's, it's a satanic ritual where you offer people up to, to Satan. And you look at the imagery in the film, you have this woman who looks like she's like passed out. And you've got Mandrake here who looks like the devil. He's got the horns and the whole bit. And he's put her under a spell. And uh, it looks like he's bending over to bite her on the neck, perhaps, or drink her. You know, he looks like a vampire in this scene. So, you know, this these symbols have an origin. They, they, they're, they're not just coming out of people's minds, but it's these concepts have been stained throughout the consciousness of humanity because going back to the source, there's a kernel and truth in all of it. Now, it turns out also that we have uh, tarot cards based on Mandrake. Tarot cards are used in uh, the art of divination for uh, seeing into the future and um, things like that. Over here on the right is, is a fascinating card. We see Mandrake, the fallen seed. And that has, in my opinion, that has dual meaning. Um, for on, the, on the first level, you'd say, well, a Mandrake is a plant and a root, and it was used to in witchcraft. So the seed that comes from that plant is the fallen seed. But the deeper occult meaning would be that Mandrake was the fallen seed or the plant that was used in the garden to produce the fallen seed, the seed of the serpent discussed in the Proto-Evangelium. And so you can see that there's a, a, a more superficial um, meaning, which is true, and there's the deeper occult meaning. And I, I like to remind the listeners, that's what the word occult means. It means um, hidden, but in plain sight. So here there is a, a plain meaning, and there's a hidden meaning. And we see, you know, some interesting symbols. We have this young woman, and in my opinion, she most likely represents Eve. She's a young, beautiful, attractive you know, they've kind of made her attractive. They've barely covered her naked body up. Um, and, and so, and she has that innocent looking face, you know, there's, there's no wrinkles. She's got the big doughy eyes. And so there's no doubt that this is a representation of Eve, young, innocent, and naive, and ready to be taken advantage of sexually. 
they display her with green hair, which would give the uh, connotation that she's somehow been contaminated by the mandrake plant and it's infected her and, 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 and changed her DNA to, to produce green hair. And that has the deeper symbolism of, of her and the Nakash. And so there's some interesting um, symbols there. Of course, we see the Mandrake tarot card that has the, the great red dragon, the fire-breathing dragon, like it says in Revelation 12, that old serpent, that great dragon. Uh, back in the day, it was called the Druid plant, the Mandrake was. Um, if you've ever studied the Druid culture, they were very uh, adept in witchcraft, sorcery. They were known for doing child sacrifice and... Um, People have argued that, you know, the tree of knowledge couldn't be a plant, that it had to be a more robust tree. But as you can see in this image, it's a large bush and it produces big limbs with, with these love apples. So uh, it's not like you have to walk over and get down on your hands and knees and, and start digging in the ground to get the apple. That's true for the root. But the apples grow out on these stems. And so, you know, the word tree in the garden account in the Hebrew is etz. It's a, it's a vague word. It's a broad word. It doesn't have to mean a 50-foot cedar tree or oak tree the way that we've always imagined it to mean. And so I believe that the mandrake clearly qualifies as the possible tree of knowledge. Here on the right, we see Aleister Crowley's rendition the La Mandragora, and you see a green um, humanoid-looking uh, entity who has the face of a man and the horns of a bull, and he represents the fallen angel Lucifer. He is the original man-dragon or serpent being. We also see today that they have all kinds of snake oils and elixirs for attracting the opposite sex and and that the mandrake can be used for medicinal purposes. Here on the left, you see the dragon, of course, on the mandrake oil. In the middle, they're claiming that the mandrake can bring healing to your body. Um, that's why we see the, the symbol of the medical field, which, interestingly enough, is a serpent with angel wings. And there's a very deep occult meaning behind that that we'll look at at some point. Here in the middle, I find this one real fascinating. Um, this is the Mandrake Lucky Mojo Oil. Helps you get lucky with the ladies. And lo and behold, you have a Nephilim creature on the front. Because I think there's a clear connection between the Mandrake and the Mandragons and the Nephilim beings uh, all throughout Genesis 6. In fact, the Book of Enoch says that the fallen angels are the ones who taught humanity about how to use the, the roots and the herbs. But this, this is a, a Minotaur here. A half man, half bull. And, of course, people think that's all fictional, but I believe, as the different um, records reveal, both biblically and Enoch and the Book of Jubilees, the Book of the Giants, that they were mixing different orders of species with other species, including human and animal. And so um, this is why the flood came, of course, to judge the world and destroy the abominations. So we see a lot of interesting symbolism there. Here's the mandrake, the Lucky Mojo oil. And we've reviewed in the past, they call these snake oils. And 
it's funny that it's adopted that name. Why would they call these oils the snake oil? Because it goes back to the snakes, the serpents. It goes back to the garden. It goes back to the mandragons, the, the ones who are using these oils and herbs and roots throughout Genesis 3 and Genesis 6 to seduce humanity. Here below we see uh, the Lucky Mojo oil is be, be being, being referred to as reversing oil. As if, uh, like it can reverse time, it can reverse your wrinkles, it can reverse your age. It's, it's, a, it's a elixir of, of uh, youthfulness. And it's interesting, it, it demonstrates the as above, so below symbolism. You have the, the arrow pointing up and the arrow pointing down. You have the word reversing going this way, and then you have the opposite direction, the reversing going that way. That represents the um, occult symbol of the as above, so below. In the middle, we see bewitching spirits. The uh, concoctions that had these ingredients were known as bewitching spirits. And that's an interesting word. We see that word being used in the New Testament uh, in regards to witchcraft. In Acts 8, Simon Magus, who was a uh, magician, that's where the word Magus comes from, he had bewitched the people with sorcery. Um, this was when Paul and Peter were dealing with Simon Magus. Now, there's some interesting words in this account. The first, the word bewitched is to astound somebody, to amaze them, or to wonder, to make them besides themselves. So you're you're just bewitching them. You're, you're Again, you're putting them in a spell, so to speak, and bewitching them, and the way you do it is through the word sorceries, which the New Testament word is magi. That's where we get the word magic, to practice magic arts and sorcery. And it's connected to the word pharmakia in the book of Revelations, which is to use drugs and medications and potions to deceive someone, to use pharmacon. So that's where we get the modern term pharm pharmacy today where people are taking a lot of psychotropic drugs, opioids, and things in order to, um, you know, be be put under a spell, so to speak, in a more modern version. So that's interesting that they call them bewitching spirits. And I think that's a very accurate word to use. Here on the right, we see an interesting one, King Solomon's Wisdom Oil. If you use the Lucky Mandrake Mojo Oil, then it's going to give you wisdom in the way that King Solomon had. Now, there's some deep connotation there because Solomon became one of the most powerful uh, wizards and sages of all time. He started off as a great king, but um, he, he defied the rules of God, which is do not mix the two seed lines. And when he took on uh, Pharaoh's daughter for a wife, and of course, if you look at the pharaohs closely they're they're part of this seed line they were a, they were a nephilim seed and so when he started mixing with pharaoh's daughter you know bad company corrupts good morals Be before long he was taking on multiple different women and he had 300 concubines and um eventually the scripture says that he was actually building altars to baal and moloch and Ashtaroth and doing child sacrifice and from there, legend has it that he was the primary contributor to the Kabbalah, Jewish mysticism, controlling the demons and, and, um, and all of that. He produced the seal of Solomon, the six-pointed star. And so um, 
there's we're seeing this connection between the mandrake plant and King Solomon, who is a great deep occultist and wizard. And of course, you're going to see mandrake used in alcohol, which coincidentally is referred to as spirits. And we see interesting imagery here in the middle. We have the lady of the mandrake, the golden apple. And, you know, it shows the plant and then it shows a woman. That is symbolic of Eve eating the apple, the, the lucky, uh, the love apple. Um, and then, of course, we know what happened after that. Here in the middle, we have the mandragola, and it shows a serpent who um, the poison's coming out of his mouth is filling up the martini glass. And so they're, what they're insinuating here is that you're drinking snake oil that comes from the serpent. Now, mandrake has always been connected to absinthe, which is called wormwood. And absinthe was very popular in the 1800s. Um, Aleister Crowley was addicted to it. Many people were. They referred to it as the green goddess or the green fairy because it gave you visions and dreams and you're able to astral project and, and so on and so forth. You see all kinds of interesting um, symbols here. Here's the green fairy. Notice it looks like the mandrake. Um, the fairies are ancient um, depictions of dragons. Here in the middle is lucid. You see the reptilian eyes. And the word lucid, it looks like fangs. The bottle's black. And it, what they're suggesting here is if you drink that bottle, you'll have lucid dreams, which is basically connecting you to the demonic realm, but it's just in a dream state. Here in the middle, you see absinthe. Um, there's interesting symbols here. You've got the two dragons, the one facing right and one facing left, kind of like Cain and Abel, the, the two seed lines. Um, you've got the all-seeing eye, who's the eye of providence, who's moving everything along uh, towards the beast system. The word hypnotic, because, of course, these drugs put you in a hypnotic state. Um, and then you've got a crown here, which represents the royal bloodlines of the Illuminati, and so um, there's a lot of deep symbolism in these in these these uh, drinks. Here on the right, you see the word absinthe. It's green, of course. Um, it has the devil horns on a skull. Skull obviously means death, and those devil horns suggest that it's the devil who's this is his drink. And there's a lot of um, there's a lot to do with wormwood in the Book of Revelations. In fact. Um, there's a planet or a, a star by the name of Wormwood that comes down to planet Earth and creates all of the weather anomalies and the earthquakes and things that transpire on, on planet Earth during the opening of the seals in Revelation. And that word, by the way, in, in Revelations, the Greek is absintheon. That's the name of Wormwood. And it makes all the waters bitter and all the people who drink them either get sick and die or, or go mad. And so there's going to be an event later in the last days where all the waters are made into wormwood. They're going to turn green and bitter. And everybody who drinks them is going to get sick. And it's going to open them up to demonization and demonic attack. Now, I have a lecture on wormwood that I'm going to try and sneak in here, here fairly soon. This brings us to all the fantasy and role-playing games, which have a lot of occultism in them. We've looked at Dungeons and Dragons in the past. It's not a coincidence that you know a lot of Luciferian, satanic types play these games. Um, 
this is definitely a doorway to the occult and they have a lot of imagery of the mandrake um, characters here we see the plant and we see a dragon looking entity in final fantasy that's mandrake here in the middle we see a green reptilian demonic entity with you know pointy fingers and pointy ears and he represents the mandrake drake or the mandragon and of course over the years there's a lot of um, connotations to the mandrake in different movies harry potter is one of the famous ones about sorcery and witchcraft in this one here they need to get the mandrake root and of course he's wearing earmuffs because when you pull the mandrake plant out it screams and kills whoever is pulling it out so we see it used in a lot of different ways because it's a very popular plant that goes back a long way and to make matters more interesting did you know that the mandrake was the origin of some of the sacred geometric shapes that we see in witchcraft today particularly the pentagram here we see in Aleister Crowley's tarot card the ace of pentacles the mandragora notice that the plants have five leaves some of them have six leaves this is where the idea of a five and six pointed star come from and in fact when you take the apples the love apples and you cut them in half the core produces a perfectly shaped pentagram or hexagram most people don't know that the apple has always been connected to the pentagram see the five-pointed star can be found at the core of an apple when it's cut horizontally this is one of the reasons that many hold the apple to be sacred in the occult and you see images like this over here on the right it shows an image of the mandrake plant and beside it we see the five-pointed star mandragoria and so we're coming to the end of the lecture but you know, here's a very interesting um, representation of the mandrake plant it's a woman a dark woman with roots in the ground and she's producing the plant it's interesting we've talked about the as above so below the um, the pyramid pointing up is man trying to reach the spirit realm and the pyramid pointing down is the spirit realm uniting with humanity and we see that right here we see the pyramid pointing down over the navel the umbilical area and it's pointing towards the vagina right here right in the center of the body in the midst of the body in the middle and I think that's an interesting um, place to put that as if the spirit realm is trying to connect with the human realm and what they're suggesting here is trying to connect with the human realm literally trying to unite with the human realm literally through the reproductive organs to produce a seed and we see the um the the law of reversal the you know this is the right side image and the left side image and um it's got you know a set of keys here with a moon the dark moon you know what what are these keys open up well I believe it's the source of this um, the seed line you notice that there's a keyhole on her forehead where the pineal gland is 
that's what the keys, that's what the mandrake has an impact on. It opens up the pineal gland, which is the seat of the soul. This is where um, the demonic and fallen angelic realm are able to communicate with humanity is through the pineal gland. So remember, this is called the, also called the Eye of Horus. That's what the Egyptians referred to it. So there's so many layers and levels of occultism and mysticism that it's unbelievable. But essentially, I believe that the evidence is beginning to stack up that the Nakash, the serpent who entered the garden, was the man-dragon, and the man-dragon seduced and beguiled Eve. And we see the production of the Proto-Evangelium immediately after that, where there is a seed of a woman and a seed of a serpent. And we begin the story of God's creation versus, versus Satan. And that's what the word Genesis means. It means the origin of the genes of Adam and Eve. And um, Satan tried to manipulate those genetics early on. He tried to do it again in Genesis 6. He tried to do it again in Babylon and Sodom and Gomorrah. And we know he's going to try and do it again in the last days with the mark of the beast. And so um, we'll continue to look at this as the lectures go on. And um, on that note, Godspeed, and we'll see you on the next one.